0: The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. All of the projections we reference during the show are available to our patrons before we record each week. Tier 2 and Tier 3 supporters also receive exclusive access to our 2020 FBS team profiles, which include daily updated player ratings, depth charts, and point spread projections, plus our team and player stat projections database. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to learn more.
1: hello everybody welcome back it's college football winning edge the podcast edition i'm your host scott bogman follow me on the twitter at bogman sports i'm joined as always by the owner and proprietor of CFP winning edge nicholas ian allen follow him on the twitter at CFP winning edge and xavier trish i can see him mouthing my introduction because i do the same thing every single time at xavier underscore trish t-r-i-c-h-e to follow him on twitter uh and it was a fun weekend of football we got the the uh, Big Ten, the Mountain West, back involved, some late-night football and everything. Right. So, Nick, w- Nick, what stood out to you the most uh, this weekend? Uh, with- it was a wild weekend, too.
0: Yeah, it was. It, it was a fun weekend, I thought. There were some good games. We had several ranked versus ranked matchups. A few of them mm-hmm. gave us some pretty good games. Oklahoma State and Iowa State uh, finished a little closer than the game sort of felt like. For most of it, uh, Miami, you know, uh, had a little bit of trouble putting away an unranked Virginia team. Uh, Michigan, you know, against a ranked opponent, looked really, really good. I thought, for the most part, Xavier was ready to, to bury the Wolverines early. After uh, <laughs> blocked like on punt, sent out a text, yeah. then it was over, and uh, they they stormed back, and, and I thought looked uh, really pretty good overall for the most part, and. You know, it, it was overall a, a pretty solid week. I thought we saw some interesting things. Rutgers picked up a win, which was uh, unexpected. Uh, we had some good games. You know, down the line and in some of the you know lower profile games, Iowa uh, gave up a late lead to Purdue. Um There was uh, you know, some drama in Nevada, Wyoming late night. That game went to overtime with Wyoming storming back and, and almost getting it done. UTSA came back and won against Louisiana Tech. So I thought the the schedule, you know, from top to bottom, definitely there was intrigue with high profile teams and some big ranked uh, matchups. but you know part of the certainly part of the beauty of having more and more games, each week is we're treated to some of these maybe unexpected uh, contests that end up being really exciting going down to the the stretch and then you know probably the most exciting finish uh, of the week, uh, Penn State and Indiana with Indiana uh, finding a way to win and and you know Penn State. Uh, doing doing their best Falcons impression before the Falcons actually did it, <laughs> uh, accidentally scored a touchdown that ended up uh, at first oddly enough uh, uh, when when the three of us you know have a, a Saturday uh, group text and and we'll go back and forth a little bit sometimes and I sent out right before all the uh, noon kickoff games were getting ready to end are all three agree section of the uh show that we do, which started off the season really, really great, had a couple of bumpy weeks. Recently uh looked like we were about to start 0-7. We were 0-2 on Thursday and Friday, and then the the noon slate just did not look good at all. Or or maybe it was even through the, the 330 games, whatever it was. The first seven games of the week just weren't looking good at all. Uh, but then Somehow, some way, Auburn pulled it out for us. UTEP had a garbage time touchdown that we got lucky on, and, and so I texted and said that you know sometimes it's better to be lucky than good.
1: And I was over and, here singing <laughs> "Jumper" by Third Eye Blind to Nick uh, for a second there. You know, <laughs> it was, but, uh, it was everything uh, worked out. Yeah, yeah,
0: it, it, a little bit of a reverse jinx maybe, but because uh, I, I tweeted, you know, all three agree is now bad we're we're now uh (laughs) anti all three agree but uh got lucky there a couple of times and then when Penn State scored that touchdown to go up 28 to 20 that actually put us uh up we were on Penn State minus six and a half and and so I was like oh man in the black we're completely getting lucky here uh but of course, things worked out as they, yeah. as they did, and uh, which which was fine. We didn't deserve that one. We'd had our, our fair share of luck last year. A lot weekend. like Penn State, right? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, it, it, that was uh, that was a, a brutal way to to end it. But overall, you know, really exciting finish to that game. Really exciting finish to a lot of games, and I thought uh, we learned a, a few things along the way. And some of the you know a blowout here or there, or, or you know some some other. Uh, solid performances maybe that didn't come down
1: to the wire either. Yeah, I mean, Xavier, let's just dive in on this uh, Penn State-Indiana game first because I've been, uh, since Saturday, I purposely did not text uh, Uh. during that because I wanted to wait for this right here to hear your reaction specifically to that play because when I was watching it, it was on at the same time the Texas game was on, so uh, I had it on a smaller TV, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, well, he didn't get in. And then I saw the you know the ref put put his his hands up, and I'm like, okay, at least call it a, a you know a good two point conversion because then it goes to review and all that stuff. And I, I still think it was short. Um, they they explained that the ball crossed the line and it was too close and all, all this stuff. But um, if you're Penn State, you're favored heavily in this game. You can't let it come down to that play. Is really my thing. So look you, you kind of left it to a coin toss and you lost on the coin toss is how I feel. Uh, it kind of turned out Xavier, but uh, I am excited to hear your take on uh, this play in particular.
2: I mean, sure. We can, we, 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 we can say that. Yes. They left it to a coin toss. That, that's fine. Okay. He wasn't in, in no way, <laughs> shape or form. Did that ball not cross the pylon or cross the inline before touching the ground? I, I referees make between fifty seven thousand and one hundred and forty two thousand dollars a year. even There's, college. Yes, yeah, this is college football. yes, you got to paid too much money. I'm looking at it right now, college football referee salary. They okay. make too much money to blow a call like this. Come on, this is why I've been you know, this is why I've been proposing for referees to be full time because this may have just ruined Penn State season. I mean, this was ridiculous. I mean, in no way, shape or form was he in. For them to call it a touchdown on the field, call it a two point conversion on the field was a mistake, because it it made it to where now you had to have indisputable video video evidence to go against it, which we all know how that works. Most referees will just align with what they said on the field anyways, because unless I, you know some happening of God says something different, they're gonna be like, well.
1: We can't make well, it out. It's not that dramatic. There are there are plenty of plays to get reversed, Xavier. Don't no, make it act like it's point zero one percent or anything, but it, it wasn't clear. You're right about that. Like you have to see clear evidence, and it wasn't clear, so you have to go with what what was, it was ruled.
2: It was pretty clear to me. That ball touched the ground, and, and they're looking at it just like we are. They they have the slow motion. They could take it down to 50% speed. That ball said, boop, on the ground, and then the then the nose went across the end line. Regardless, I mean, yes, you're correct. Penn State shouldn't have left it to that. But when you've got not one, not two, but like five guys on the field that all come to the conclusion that that was a two-point conversion cre- that made is ridiculous. I, uh, I just I, – I, it was inexcusable for me. I, I love I love to see upsets, but I love to see right, right, right. I love to see them in the actual fashion that they happen, not in this decision. Uh, I just think that once, once again, I would have rather, you know, I would. I, I don't know. It, it just wasn't. It, it didn't sit right with me because I felt like they got hosed on a bad call. When, yeah. You know, they get paid the big bucks to make the right call.
1: I'm gonna everybody. say I'm gonna say one word to trigger you right now. Are you ready to be triggered? <laughs> Auburn, (laughs) Auburn.
2: They have to be the luckiest team in America. This team. It's better be lucky than good. Yep. (laughs) We oh we know this isn't the first year that they've been able to get this far on luck. I I vividly remember the prayer at Jordan Hare and the kick six and back to back weeks a couple of years ago. Come
1: on, the kick six was a good play. It's a good (laughs) play.
2: Yeah, it's a great play. You bring out a kicker who already can't kick to begin with, Saban. You do; it would have been his career long. And on top of that, you put nobody on the field with speed whatsoever. And the kid's still. I I didn't
1: mean to trigger you this bad, so I I didn't know it was going to go down this path. Here, we're going to be talking about games from trigger me. We're talking about
0: games that are six, seven years old. Yeah, I know, (laughs) I
1: know. This game is old. They should be three
2: and three right now. Auburn (laughs) should be three and three. This is. Uh, that was almost as bad as the Minnesota Miracle. Like, how do you not tackle? Like, what are you doing? Like, why are we playing a man when there's a minute left in the ball game and they need a touchdown? <laughs> and, and Auburn somehow figures it out and runs the table. I'm sick, and, and it'll be. And I'll point to two plays, and I'll point to the the modern day tuck rule with Bo Nix and a fumble against Arkansas. And now we've got the Minnesota Miracle-esque play against Mississippi where people forgot how
1: to. Oh, I think he froze. I think he, he was triggered so bad that his internet stopped working properly. So uh, and it's funny, the picture that we get, he's got arms up, mouth wide open, so angry, uh, but his internet did freeze. So um, there he is. He's back. The headphones were up over his head and everything. We were we We're describing this was the picture right here. That that it and froze on for you, not, not uh, but but anyway, are you you were saying about Auburn and how mad you are.
2: I mean, they should just be a three and three ball club. Shouldn't be anywhere near the top twenty five. I mean, they're they're three and two. I'm sorry, they should be two and four. They're three and two right now. They're walking into LSU this week. LSU looked better last week. M- maybe maybe comeuppance is on the way because LSU was really really good last week against South
1: Carolina. Yeah, they, they looked much, much better. So uh just going over the rest of the scores from the week in the top twenty-five. Uh Wisconsin beat Illinois 45 to 7 on Friday night with a bunch of passing, which was surprising. I, we will be discussing Wisconsin uh at ad nauseum uh in the near future here. Uh Ohio State pounded Nebraska into the ground 52 to 17, looking like uh, you know, a They top
2: just team. got Nick's number too. When they had thirty-five, I said, Well.
1: <laughs> right. I was
2: so close. I, I was like, they're so close. Just, just come on guys.
1: Uh, Kansas state pounds, Kansas 55 to 14 into the ground. Coastal Carolina, rig 25 beats Georgia Southern, 28, 14, uh, North Carolina actually showed up this week, 48 to 21 over NC state Clemson pounds Syracuse, 47 to 21, probably their closest game of the year. So far, <laughs> uh, Marshall 20 over Florida Atlantic nine, Uh, Penn state obviously loses to Indiana 36, 35 in overtime, Oklahoma state 24, 21 over Iowa state, Notre Dame beat Pittsburgh down in this game, 45 to three, uh, Bama beats Tennessee, 48 to 17. And then, uh, Minnesota loses to Michigan, uh, 49 to 24 Miami over Virginia, 19 to 14 Cincinnati holds SMU to 13 points. 42-13, 42 to 13 that was surprising and then BYU beats Texas State 52 to 14 Nick anything else uh from this week I mean it, and it doesn't have to be ranked games what was your first impressions of the Big 10 and the Mountain West
0: Um so I am I'm relatively uh loath to draw immediate conclusions and that that's I'm sure going to come up when we talk about games for this week because part of it is just my nature and and part of it is sort of the way our numbers are set up because it's potentially a a design flaw problem on my end. But I know there are a lot of systems out there, models out there that uh, slowly phase in 2020 results and, and phase out uh, 2019 and, and then, you know, preseason projections. And, and we do that as well, but I, I guess I'm not sophisticated enough or, or what have you to do it sort of in a staggered way where, uh, you know, at, at this point in the season, all our stuff is 2020. And unfortunately, that also includes uh, the Big Ten and it includes uh, the Mountain West. And what I'm talking about is our, uh, part of our uh, – formula for our power ratings involves team performance rankings, basically uh, season-long grades, how well a team is playing on the field based on a selection of, you know, fairly advanced stats that I think do a pretty good job of uh, kind of sussing out really what's most important, uh, you know, out of a, a traditional box score, but dives deeper into um, you know some per drive metrics and uh, you know expected points added things like that uh, but anyway so when i see a team like northwestern who came in uh, and last week uh, in our power rankings because their team performance rating was based almost entirely off of 2019 they were ranked in the like high 60s low 70s they you know absolutely destroy maryland 43 to 3 looked pretty good and and there's you know, some evidence even leading into this game to think that Northwestern was going to be able to bounce back some. But now their team performance rating looks like they're a top five team. Looks like they played like a top five team nationally through the 2020 season, but we're only counting one game against a poor opponent. So now Northwestern's ranked 24th, and now they're favored in a game according to our numbers that we would not – they probably would have been a, a double-digit underdog had this been you know the season opener for both teams so I'm a little worried that there are some teams that we're going to be too high on that we're going to be too low on and that team performance part of the equation is potentially what's going to throw some of those things out of whack hopefully we'll get lucky and you know Northwestern or uh, Nevada had a really high team performance rating compared to uh, where they were coming into the season Uh, you know uh, Rutgers teams like that that you know, put, put a good performance together on the field. Hopefully they'll play like that moving forward. Maybe, you know, hopefully a team like Minnesota who now dropped from the like low thirties into the seventies by being blown out pretty well by Michigan. Maybe we'll get lucky and Minnesota's not going to be very good moving forward, but I'm a little bit concerned that our number is overreacting based on one, you know, one data point, And it's going to take a couple of weeks for those to sort of even out. So, Maybe it'll work to our advantage. I I suggest anybody that's, uh, you know, looking at our numbers for any sort of insight on, uh, you know, Big Ten and and, uh, Mountain West games this week and maybe next week to use some caution, at least on our official projection. This doesn't impact our uh, talent edges or our our, uh, stats only model, believe it or not, because our stats only model is based on previous year's results primarily. But, um, yeah, it's – sort of my, my biggest takeaway is that I'm trying not to take too much away. I'm trying to, uh, you know, to, to uh, take what we can learn. One of the things being, I thought Michigan looked really good. I thought the, the offense looked really good. And, you know, there's been a concern there at the quarterback position. There's been a concern, you know, this, this uh, new offense as of last year with Josh Gattis as the offensive coordinator didn't really come out of the gate looking great last year. They, they got better and better over the course of the year. But I thought that, you know, live, watching that game live, seeing it on, on film, that Michigan played even better than uh, what the box score would suggest or even the, the final score uh, would suggest. So maybe that's something I'm, I'm taking away, that uh, Michigan might actually be uh, taking a step in the right direction. Maybe Joe Milton's going to be a pretty good quarterback for them this year. Uh, I think, interestingly, the Penn State-Indiana game uh, kind of uh, Penn State played way, way better if you look at uh, the advanced box scores. Um, Indiana, team performance rating in the 70s for us based on last week. So uh, you wouldn't expect a a major win over a top 10 opponent uh, to be able to, to do that, putting up the kind of numbers that they did. But, um, you know, maybe from this point forward, some people might be underestimating Penn state a little bit because of that loss they might be overestimating Indiana a little bit because of that loss. That is something we'll, we'll see this week when our, uh, projections are, are, you know, we talk about those, uh, and then, you know, uh, just, uh, uh, I had my mind
1: just went blank. Who else was I going <laughs> to well, mention? I was going to make a point here real quick, Nick. Sure. Uh, the, you know, just the first impressions that we saw from a lot of these teams initially th- they've changed a ton. I mean, you know, North Carolina beat Syracuse 31 to six, um, uh, Iowa state lost to Louisiana Lafayette, uh, 31 to 14 in their first game, Notre Dame barely beat. Well, not barely, but beat only scored 27 against Duke. Um, you know, uh, Clemson only put up 37 against Wake Forest, and we've already seen them have a 70-point game this year. So it, it it's taken specifically the offense a little while to get rolling, and I don't think that we should expect too much from these teams who are just starting in the next couple weeks, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's always important to try to learn what we can but not try to overreact. One way or the other. It's usually never quite as good as it seems. It's never quite as bad as it seems. The thing that skipped my mind uh, Ohio State blew out Nebraska, you know, 52 17. But if you dive into the numbers a little bit, that uh, score probably could have been a lot closer. So Ohio, Ohio State, I think, has more questions than we might have expected if, if we just saw we're presented with this uh, final score without. Uh, you know, numbers to back it up or, or watching the game. So it, there were definitely a lot of things that we learned, but I, I as always, try to be uh, a little slow, maybe sometimes to a fault, um, to, to, you know, overreact. I try to avoid that temptation when when I can.
1: Xavier, what else from this week uh, in seeing these new teams did, did you like? What stood out to you?
2: I don't know if you mentioned it in your rundown, but shouts out to Wake Forest. Uh, Big time win over Virginia Tech, beats a ranked team uh, at home. Uh, So so, so big win for them. So I'll go ahead and shout them out. And obviously now the ACC loses another ranked team, which doesn't help the argument for the ACC being a solid conference. Anyways, over to the Big Ten. I think this is overreaction week for a lot of people. Uh, I think a lot of people will overreact with Michigan. I think a lot of people will overreact with Penn State. Um, and I think that we need to settle down just a hair. Um, you know, I, th- I think the Penn State game, we, we got—we have to look at it, you know, as, as Nick said, we have to deep dive because I think that when you look at the Penn State game, they lost. However, they played exceptionally well for most of that game. If it wasn't for, I mean, on that last drive and in overtime, Indiana, the, the, the starting quarterback went ridiculous. I mean, he was just amazing. And the pocket was breaking down. He had he was just making immaculate throws. So we have to really look at not only how that they lost, but how did they lose the game? And because it, with it being so close, Penn State hasn't lost their season yet. I've seen a lot of articles. It's like Penn State's over. Penn State's a fraud. And I and I call out frauds very quickly. Let's wait. Wait now on that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that they're a fraud just yet. I think I saw some concerning things from Sean Clifford uh, throwing the ball down the field that I thought I wouldn't see. No, not Sean Clifford. Yes.
1: Nick, Sean Clifford? Yeah, yeah, Sean. Okay, Nick
2: gave me a look. I was like, I'm so confused. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that that concerned me with his ability in the pocket. He ran a lot more than I thought he would have to in that game to make plays. Uh But outside of that, I felt like the defensive front uh, got pressure on the quarterback when they needed to. However, he made some really, really good throws down the stretch. and equally some great catches as well. Um and, and same thing for Michigan. I think Michigan played really well. We knew what we had from them in their front seven, and I think that that was going to be uh, something that we leaned, that they leaned on going into that Minnesota game. I didn't think we knew how good they were going to be offensively. That was the biggest thing. I think that with this game is a barometer. Are they a 40-point winner, you know, game in and game out? Probably not. Are they somewhere around the 30-plus range? Probably. Um, so I think that that's really where we have to lean at this point. Same thing with Ohio State. As, great as Ohio State looked last week there was something very concerning about their inability to run the football in between the tackles. And that for me was like, hmm, interesting. The fact that AJ Martinez was the leading rusher in that game with 85 yards concerns me a bit. You know, I don't know if that is a subject to the fact of the slow start, not having enough time, whatever, but That's not indicative of Ohio State when they win championships and when they compete for titles. They normally can run the football very well, either with the quarterback or with the running back. You know, J.K. Dobbins and Ezekiel Elliott obviously do have done what they've done the last couple of years uh, to solidify themselves as a pretty good running team throughout. And they just could not get that started. So we have to really not just look at the box score here, but look at the look at the games. Go watch. Go back. Watch them. They're on YouTube. Do what you do, do, your due diligence and really pick what you need to pick from those games. Because I think you, if you just look at the box scores, you'll run away with it. Uh, and you might, you know, have some of the articles that I've seen this week, which is, you know, Ohio state is easy. Ohio state, you know, makes themselves the best team in the country after this week, or Michigan is a title contender. I've seen that this week and I'm just like, wait a day. Oh, Hey, long <laughs> season. Let's, let's make sure that, you know, after one week of football, we haven't crowned Michigan as back yet just like we did Texas a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that, Xavier. <laughs> yeah. Finish off with the slam to me. Of course. <laughs> I mean, you
2: guys won this week. I had to give you something.
1: I mean, you guys have left out the best performance and the biggest upset of the week so far. Rutgers <laughs> oh, opening up with a win on the road against Michigan State. They had seven I mean,
2: turnovers, and they still almost lost. No, they didn't. Yes, no, they did. They did uh, 38 yeah. to
1: 27. They won by 11 points. But, uh, I mean, look, I, I don't think Rutgers is going to be good. But, uh, to you know, to see that, I mean, this is just the ultimate 2020 score, right? Like, uh, seeing Rutgers win an opener on the road against a team that, in general, is pretty solid was uh, was big to watch. I they think... Might be, they, they might be this is Arkansas. Who may, knows? May, maybe they are. Maybe they are. But uh, Texas... Uh, <laughs> it that they finally beat charlie brewer but that was definitely the most boring game of the week i would say and i watched the whole thing from wire to wire so it was not exciting of course this year i'm used to texas going into four overtimes or uh needing onside kicks to win games and stuff like that so just a regular win well i was kind of like what is this boring crap you know but uh the uh, yeah, th- this week it was just a lot of fun, specifically to see some of those late night games, see San Diego State and San Jose State, and uh, all those teams play late. I can't wait till Pac 12 after dark uh comes back. That'll be next week. But uh, Nick, how did the numbers pan out for this week? How did we look in week eight?
2: Uh,
0: so the reverse jinx from the uh early <laughs> schedule worked out decently well. I was, I was very much doom and gloom as games were late in the fourth quarter uh, in that, you know, first window, but things, things ended up working out decently. Well, all three agree, ended up uh, 10 and six, which uh, was good. We had had a 500 week, two weeks ago and then a pretty bad week in in week eight. So, or excuse me, week seven. So it was nice to be on the right side of things again, uh, against the spread, just our, our, official projections that we've been doing the last three years had a, a, a pretty strong weeks, twenty-seven and seventeen, uh, so that's sixty-one and a half percent, which we'll take any any time we can get it. Uh, you know, no matter how how it comes, and certainly we were the beneficiary of of some uh, you know friendly bounces last week on, on a couple of games, but uh, things like that tend to to even out, and we've had some uh, unlucky breaks before. So happy to to be on the right side of those. Uh, last week. And, and then another solid week for totals. We've we've talked before that this is our first year doing totals using our new uh, projections database. And, and it's uh, a little bit weird because I know that a, a total that's got a high number, a number in the high 60s or 70s, or this week, there's one that's an 82. Uh, we are going to be over almost 100% of the time on on or excuse me, we're going to be under 100% of the time almost on those games. And if a, a total is uh, listed in the 40s, basically, we're, we're going to be over, which, you know, games are, are like that, according to the odds makers and, and the market for a reason. So uh, we're probably maybe getting a little lucky on some of those because there there is uh, a concern that our model is not, not really reaching the, the outer edges uh, as well as we could, the tails as, as well as we could, but we're doing well. In the middle, so uh, 23, 20, and one. Uh, combine that with the uh, spread picks, and and we were 57.5% for the week. Feel feel good about that for sure. And you know, this this year, uh, doing decently well. We're we're uh, 51% against the spread officially. We're uh, 54% when we incorporate totals into that number, and and then those all three agree, which have been pretty good for us overall are now 46, 32, and one, uh, which uh, is, is uh, something I think to, to be proud of. And our, our uh, stats only model that, that we've used where um they, uh, the statistical projections gives us a, a expected scoring margin for each team. And we're able to uh, combine those together and get another point spread. That's actually been our, our individually, our very best model where, uh, 78, hundred and six, seventy-eight, and two uh, with that one. So that that's uh, clicking along at fifty-seven percent for the year. So feel feel pretty good about it. I you know we, we certainly don't have everything figured out, but but I, I feel uh, solid overall. And it always feels better coming off a good week than it did you know this time last week. I, I didn't feel as good.
1: <laughs> um. Now before we dive into the games this week, we had uh, some cancellations already. Uh, because mm-hmm. of COVID tracing and all that stuff. FIU and Marshall uh, was canceled on Friday or postponed. Uh, UTEP, North Texas, New Mexico, San Jose State, and Nebraska, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, which straight up canceled. And uh, you know, I was doing my on-campus show uh, with Eric Froton and John Lob yesterday, and uh, Eric went off on a kind of a tangent about uh, the Big Ten and their 21-day mandatory isolating. Uh, bit that they're doing uh, if you test positive for COVID because now it looks like, you know, Wisconsin is not going to have many players moving forward because they just had 11 more guys uh, pop, including uh, their head coach. So Nick, do, do you think that the big 10 to finish this year is going to have to reverse course on this 21 days business? Or do you think they're going to just play the games that they can and, Cancel the games that they have to, uh, and stick with this twenty-one day, um, you know, outlook as far as COVID goes.
0: Uh, it's it's an interesting question because right before we started to record, uh, there was an SI uh, report. Ross Dellinger said that um, through his reporting, he, he found uh, that doctors. There's evidence that the uh, cardio. Whatever the, the the proper word, the the fear of a, a lingering heart issue because of uh, somebody that that's had COVID has been uh, really really rare in athletes uh, to this point, and, and it's to the point where um, apparently the the uh, suggestion to even screen people that are in this particular age group and and uh, are you know, as involved in in athletics as college football players are, it it seems to be not as big of an issue as the Big Ten specifically had feared, which was part of this 21-day rule. It's why, you know, Purdue head coach Jeff Braum was only away for 10 weeks because he didn't have to worry about uh, clearing any sort of, uh, you know, cardio tests or or what have you, whereas the players do. And, And as I understand it, and I could be, Wrong, But uh, I think that's sort of the root of the the 21 days. So it will be interesting to see if there's a push to amend that. Uh, You know, I, I, for one, and and I know there are people piling on the Big Ten now for this Wisconsin, you know, case, uh, how the Big Ten set up its new schedule didn't allow it any really room for error for if a game like this got canceled as of right now, unless things change, unless they move the championship week back. Uh, there won't be any makeup. So that's certainly unfortunate, but, you know, I'm, I'm not going to run out and, and say, oh, the Big Ten screwed up. They should have just started to play. I think this whole thing, you know, I think for the most part, everybody's been operating uh, team-wise and, and conference-wise in good faith, trying to do the right thing, and, and the Big Ten made a decision, and it, it may not work out as well as they had hoped, waiting as it turns out might not have been, uh, the ideal solution, but I'm, I'm personally not going to fault them for making that decision when they thought they were doing the thing that was safest for uh, their players and students and, and everyone involved. So uh, it, it's certainly interesting. If the evidence now, you know, suggests that it's, it's less of a risk, uh, you know, I, I would love it if the Wisconsin players are back and healthy and, and able to contribute sooner than the 21 days, especially Graham Mertz. I mean, he looked amazing. Friday night, uh, you know, set uh, or tied several school records in his very first start. And now, you know, if Wisconsin plays in 10 days or or whenever it is that that they're scheduled to play again next, they'd be down to their preseason fourth string quarterback. That's not really what we want to see, especially for a team that we think can compete for a division championship, a conference championship. They moved all the way up to number five in our power ranking. So that's a team that we thought, you know, could, could, uh, potentially make a run at a, at a playoff spot. So uh, we'd like to see them certainly at full strength. Uh, and, and, you know, if this evidence uh, does indicate that, that they'll actually be able to reduce that 21 days, great. If they keep that in place because they feel it's the safest thing for the players, while well, that might be uh, unfortunate, it might make some people upset, you know, I'm, I'm going to, uh, uh Think that they are probably operating it as as best they feel they should, and and that's fine with me too. It's it's certainly going to have some negative consequences, but that's just personally how I how I feel about it. But it's it's something that you know we've been saying for eight weeks now, and, and we're going to have to be dealing with it uh, no matter what conference, no matter yeah. what team, off and on every week.
1: Yeah, I mean it's good. we're going to get cancellations every week through the end of the season. You know, hopefully we don't get canceled bowl games or anything like that specifically in the the playoff in the championship game. But Xavier, your thoughts on, uh, you know, the cancellations and kind of the, like Nick said, a lot of piling on the big 10. And, and I think, you know, I'm not surprised that the big 10 has the, the most strict rules here because they were the ones that initially didn't want to play this season. So uh, your thoughts on this whole situation here. I
2: think it's a balancing act, you know, I think on one hand, the Big Ten does want to be responsible for its players and making sure that they remain healthy and taking the the, the, the over the typical quote unquote protocol. With it. typically, it's about two weeks uh, that they say that you should wait, you know, before going back out. But I, I think that this is, you know, I don't know if this is smoke and mirrors or if we'll actually see this. You know, this is kind of re- sounds something similar to the SEC saying they'll fine teams up to a million dollars the first chance they get to find a team. They find them a hundred thousand, so not a million. You know, I don't know if it's going. You know, I don't know if it's going to be smoking mirrors, but at the same time, I understand that by the Big Ten coming back, they understood the risks that they were going to take by doing so, and they also understood the protocol that they would have to take to make sure that the games could still be played in the event that people popped for COVID. I, I hope they didn't come into this thinking that they could stop this from happening. Uh, you know, because COVID hasn't gone anywhere. So I, I, I. I it's
1: not I don't... a team of Odell Beckham Juniors. Right. So I, I, I don't. can't get COVID because he's built different, according to him.
2: Oh so. uh, well, his leg definitely is. Anyways, uh, yeah. you know. I... <laughs>
1: come on, come on! I wasn't going there. You know, come on! What was that? Jeez. that's mean. Xavier's mean. Do you know
0: why I said that? Uh, I I keep up with. I read the newspaper. Okay, cool.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think that the I don't pay much attention to the NFL for first time first time listeners, perhaps. But. But uh, <laughs> I, I try to I try to keep
2: up when I can. <laughs> but I, I think the Big Ten will handle this in the best way possible. At the end of the day, it's gonna they're not going to put a product out there that they're not going to want the public and the masses to see. So so whether that means having to sit a you know a player that doesn't necessarily have a big role down for three weeks. Versus having to sit down a starting quarterback for three weeks, I think we'll have to see, wait and see how that works. Um, I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if this is going to be a rule that that sticks and who it sticks for. You know, obviously these conferences can decide on you know how they want to enforce COVID protocols, and so I don't. Like I said, I don't know if it, it'll be a situation where if you know Penn State loses Sean Clifford for whatever reason they're going to be like, well, you, you can come back in seven to 10 days versus, you know, uh, a guy on the special teams unit. He has to sit out for three weeks kind of situation. So we we'll have to just wait and see.
1: All right. Well, let's dive into week nine here. It's going to be a the fun Deuce. one. We've got games, uh, Thursday, Friday night, Saturday, and next week, we're going to start getting Maction too. Uh, I believe starting on Wednesday. So as we're recording this show, I think there <laughs> There'll be, we'll get Kent state and Eastern Michigan and Akron and Western Michigan, uh, going, uh, at, at the least. So, um, this, uh, this week, you know what? I think I'm going to start because I've, I've, uh, heaped it upon you guys to start initially, but the game that stands out to me the most this week, and it's against the spread and the over under, I'm just baffled with here. Cincinnati is a six and a half point home favorite against Memphis. We just saw them hold SMU to 13 points last week. So it feels like this game maybe should have a lower over than 55 and a half. And I don't know, since he was pretty dominant Memphis, we've seen play well, but only really on one side of the ball. And I think if since he can stop the offense, they can stop Memphis as a whole. I think they can score on Memphis. So Nick, your thoughts on uh, this matchup here, number seven Cincinnati uh, at home against Memphis. Six, six and a half point favorites, 55 and a half is the over.
0: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a good matchup. Th- this week's noon window is, is uh, probably going to be the most entertaining, uh, at least, you know, lo- looks like it on paper. Uh, a lot of very interesting games going on, this being one of them, being sort of a, a G5. Showcase and Cincinnati is a very, very, uh, very, very interesting team. We talked two weeks ago about how our numbers uh, really didn't understand why they weren't a much bigger favorite against Tulsa. Unfortunately, that game didn't end up being played. But then, you know, looking ahead to, uh, you know, they're now looking back to the game against SMU, it was a little bit strange because our numbers had Cincinnati as a clear favorite and you know that was as far as our model goes one of the the biggest edges of the week and, and we turned out to be right so there, there's a little bit of a concern like okay well you know we, we spent the last two years basically underrating Cincinnati are we now overrating Cincinnati especially compared to the market and the uh, you know the odds makers but so far they've they've passed every test and uh, you know they haven't played the toughest schedule the, before SMU, their most impressive win was against Army, who we still don't really know, even though Army 6-1, and one, they've played, what, three FCS teams, so it's hard to really know how good of a win that, that actually was. SMU has been, you know, a bit shorthanded offensively, lost a starting running back, lost uh, arguably, you know, an All-American candidate at uh, receiver, so uh, they, the Cincinnati defense played incredibly well, didn't necessarily you know get SMU at its best so it's 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 difficult to tell whether Cincinnati really has earned sort of its its standing and you know in the AP poll they're 7th in the country that's uh, a bit too high but they are 21st in ours which which for a g5 team is really really impressive I talked about our team performance numbers overall they rank ninth in team performance so they have actually played like a top 10 team on the field according to the numbers that uh, we pull out as, as being most important and they're a top five defense they rank fifth in team performance on defense so you know Memphis is going to be a very very Difficult task. Memphis is, uh, you know, we, we do see this going over because you know, in large part, Memphis is is one of the uh, most impressive offensive teams in our statistical model. So uh, they they are going to drive that number up a bit. But similarly to SMU, Memphis isn't operating at full strength. I mean, they haven't had Kenneth Gainwell all year. They recently lost. DeMonte Coxey after he's opted out, but they they seem to always find someone. I mean, Rodriguez-Clark has, has looked really, really good uh, at running back, and they have some depth at that position as well. Calvin Austin has stepped in and become uh, immediately, you know, one of the most productive receivers in the American, and, and it's almost like they haven't uh, missed a beat. I mean, you know, certainly they would love to have those really talented playmakers, but you know they—they they seem to uh, be able to put up points regardless of uh, who's on the field, and, and that's that's really really interesting. Brady, uh, Brady White's played uh, very very well this year, and you know I think uh, he specifically being someone who who gives Memphis a, a top uh, ten quarterback situation according to our position strength ratings that that carries a lot of weight and I think it does you know on the field as well he's been able to help elevate the the level of play of uh, some somewhat you know unknown unheralded players and and help those guys develop and and the coaching staff of course I think deserves credit and and Memphis always seems to to uh, be able to find some guys that uh, were perhaps severely underrated coming out of high school anyway. So uh, they're, they're going to be a very, very tough team, a very tough opponent, uh, and a, a solid test for Cincinnati. But as of right now, our, our numbers still really, uh, really like the Bearcats. And, and like I said, we underrated them two years in a row. I'm a little bit concerned. Maybe we're starting to overrate them, but uh, you know, our talent edge number actually has this uh, a little closer than the line. Cincinnati would have been favored by uh, only three points. If we were looking at talent only, no home field advantage, no coaching metrics, no uh, statistics, anything like that. If we're looking at stats only Memphis, actually we would have favored by two points, but our uh, you know our, our official model where we incorporate all those different things which I get more and more confident as the season goes on because it has performed uh, better and better throughout the first two years when we've we've uh, done it that number really uh, sees a pretty big edge for Cincinnati actually as the Bearcats is uh, a little over a 10 point favorite so uh, even though our, our two other models, uh, would go with Memphis, sort of our overriding official model. Uh, it is pretty high on the Bearcats in, in this game, and, and so uh, our official projection we've got uh, Cincinnati 34 and Memphis 24. I on um, you know when I first see that score, it, it seems uh, a little unlikely that Memphis will be held to 24 points, but you know we saw what Cincinnati did to SMU last week who's just as explosive or at least capable of being just as explosive. So, uh, you know, we don't see a clear edge. The models do not, you know, agree on this, but officially we're we're on Cincinnati and, and think that they can cover.
1: Yeah. And Xavier, a hard one to pick. I mean, you know, uh, Nick has Cincinnati and the cover, but not every, every one of the systems, which I feel like I picked a good game here. When it's uh, when we're separated by uh, different, uh, you know, uh, f- uh, formulas spitting out a-, a different odds in this game, one team favored, the other team favored. How do you see this one playing out between uh, Cincinnati and Memphis?
2: Yeah, I think Cincinnati more than covers. I think this is a defense that continues to prove how good they are uh, to give everybody a, an idea of how good this defense has been o- over the last year or so. They have yet they haven't given up thirty points in what will be a year. On November 2nd, uh, 2020, last time they gave up over 30 points was to Eastern Carolina last year, November 2nd. So this defense has been really good. Uh, And I think the reason why this game, the line is so close is I think that it's because Cincinnati has yet to prove consistently that their offense can perform above average. I think last week they figured some things out. I I think Desmond Ritter has, has, you know, I think he's become the guy that I thought he would. I didn't think he was a pocket passer. I didn't. Are think you he
1: saying he is who you thought he was?
2: And they will let him off the hook. Yeah, <laughs> okay. uh, I think Desmond Ritter has embraced the fact that he's a runner, and, and I think that he has. Focus less on trying to make himself into a pocket passer. I think we saw that last week, obviously, with eight carries for 179 yards, three touchdowns. He ran for more more yards than he passed for. You know, I think that he is embracing his athleticism and his ability to make that a huge part of his game. I also think that the offensive play calling is allowing him more of an opportunity to make those plays with his leg um, inside of a passing play as well. I think that Cincinnati may have turned a bit of a corner. They haven't turned it completely, but I think they have turned a corner offensively and I think that's why I see them more than covering this game. I think they can hold Memphis well below uh their season average uh in, in points and I think that more than likely they'll hold them to around 20 to 24. Uh, so I think, you know, and on the back end, I think the offense for Cincinnati is better than we're, we're giving it credit. I just think that they haven't hit that stride yet. And that's all and that's really what everybody's been waiting for, you know, Cincinnati's defense has been ridiculously good for a while now. And they've shown week in and week out that they can shut down big-time offenses. Their only issue is, is you always got scared as if they got to a shootout, could they compete? I think they now have shown that they can compete in a shootout type fashion. I think uh, that Desmond Ritter has turned that corner as a quarterback, and I see them more than covering. I've got them winning somewhere in the range of a a 37 to 20, 37 to 24. I think they more than cover, uh, and I really like Cincinnati. I don't think they're seventh in the country. I think that's obviously due to COVID and people coming back late, but this is a team that's for me could sit comfortably in the top 15 and I would have no qualms about it whatsoever uh you know 14, 13 right around there I would have no issues with that whatsoever as I think that they are easily my favorite right now in that con- in their conference
1: yeah, I think I like Cincinnati too coming off of impressive performance mm-hmm. and shutting down SMU uh, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a good game because we know Memphis can put points on anyone so that should be a real fun one and that one is uh, 9 a.m it's the last week. Uh, before you know for oh, me yeah, for for Ari- time- <laughs> yeah arizona the time change we don't do it so everything pushes back a week for me so mm-hmm. uh so i love that uh but uh then uh let's go with nick why don't you nick you pick the second game this week what do you got
0: so you know i, I think there maybe is uh an obvious pick i think we'll, we'll eventually get there but one that Uh, jumps out to me a little bit is uh, Texas and Oklahoma state. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those where uh, officially uh, believe it or not, our our numbers actually did end up lining up on, on the same side. But since I posted that, I believe that the numbers actually uh, flipped. So, so now we're, uh, you know, if, if we had published uh, an hour later or two, you know, later, this wouldn't be a game where all three of our uh, models agree. But the line that we had officially, as of uh, I think it was about 3 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday afternoon when I published, uh, was Oklahoma State minus three and a half, and, and the total was 58 and a half. So um, we think, you know, our talent edge really favors Texas. There, there are some teams that sort of get you know, filed into this uh, because we, we rely on recruiting rankings is ingredient number one. It, it, in everything we do when uh, we're talking about our official model, our, our player ratings, all that, recruiting ratings are, are the first thing. They are very, very predictive for the large part of uh, college football. Uh, but there are certain teams that it seems guys, you know, maybe they recruited a higher level than they end up playing. Texas is one of those. USC is one of those. Uh, Miami, Florida State. You know, we, there there are these teams that we talk about year in and year out where, okay, are they finally going to live up to this, you know, top 10, top 15 level talent that they've got? Well, Texas came in and we talked in the preseason about how they had a talent edge in every single game. Uh, that was, That was even before, the big 12 only schedule. And, and, you know, that, that is still the case. They haven't, they've had some injuries, but they haven't had guys just completely, uh, you know, be taken off the the roster of the depth chart that are going to drive that number down a lot. So if, if talent was the only factor here, the way we calculate uh, our talent edges, Texas would be almost a 10 point favorite be a little over nine and a half point talent edge. Now the stat Projection model and the official projection model are much, much closer because Oklahoma State is one of those teams that traditionally seems to play at a much higher level than its talent ratings. It ranks in the you know 30s and 40s a lot of the times in uh, recruiting class rankings and, and even things like our roster strength uh, number, which we do you know take those same uh, recruiting ratings, but then we adjust them for experience, for career production so we can help. Uh, when a player, you know, really starts to overachieve if, if they really were underrated coming out of high school. And, and you know, Oklahoma State has made a lot of progress in that way. Guys like Chuba Hubbard, Tyler Wallace are maximum rated players, even though they uh, were not, uh, you know, uh, four or five star type players coming out of high school. Oklahoma State now, according to our numbers, has like a top 12 roster on offense, a top Ten roster, believe it or not, on defense because they they are very very experienced. They've been playing very very well this year as well. So uh, our numbers, because we do adjust for experience, because we do incorporate things like team performance, which Oklahoma State is, has played really really well. We talked this time last week; they were at the time number one in defensive team performance. This week, they're all the way down. To number three so they're there's you know they're playing defense in the big 12 this year as a whole but the only Oklahoma one state <laughs> but no not iowa state uh yeah. playing uh playing defensive you know who they who they played last week kansas yeah. state can can on occasion uh play defense west virginia was ranking among the top oh, 10 right. nationally so it's it's interesting that we're seeing a, a tiny bit of a <laughs> shift Uh, And and in some ways, the Big 12 looks a little bit more like we're used to the SEC looking. The SEC looks a little bit more like the Big 12. Anyway, another conversation for another day, perhaps. But, you know, Oklahoma State is is a solid team, is a solid defense. They are playing at a top 20 level. And I think that there's plenty of room for growth offensively. I think we'll actually see... Hopefully, we'll get to see you know Chuba Hubbard uh, look like he did in 2019. Tyler Wallace look like he did prior to his injury last year because uh, they've they've fixed whatever was the issue on defense the last few years. If they can now get that offense back to the level that we're used to, uh, Oklahoma State is you know they're they're the only undefeated team in the Big 12. They're tied atop the the Big 12 standings with kansas state believe it or not uh this is a team that if they win all their games could find themselves in the playoff and and they're playing at a level that uh you know that would be deserved i think at least defensively but of course texas is a very difficult matchup and and texas does have elite talent they haven't necessarily played up to it they're playing at a top 25 level they're like 24th Overall, in team performance, they rank 24th in offensive uh, team performance according to our numbers. But Texas has the talent to compete with anybody in a given day. I would not be at all surprised if they win this game outright. I would not be at all surprised if they, uh, you know, end up with with the every once in a while we see Texas come out and, and just uh, really yeah. play up to its level and, and blow somebody out. It could be Oklahoma State. Yeah. You know, Oklahoma State's the kind of team that. Uh, often picks off a higher-ranked Texas team, but things are weird. 2020 is weird. So I I see that this could – you know, I I could see this game playing out in in a lot of different ways. Uh, And and though our numbers did line up officially on Texas, uh, I'm very interested to see if Oklahoma State – you know, something we talk about with different teams every week it seems – if they are for real, you know uh because
1: the hardest opponent they played is iowa state uh who they beat you know other than that it's been who was it it was tulsa and then um it was a little uh, better than we thought west virginia and kansas so
0: oh yeah absolutely and that's that's one thing i look at our team performance ratings which do uh you know incorporate some pretty advanced stats i mean oklahoma state uh, in, you know, points per drive allowed, ranked seventh. That's that's a factor that goes in to their defensive por- uh, team performance, things like that. So we're, we're, you know, just as an example, we're, we're really digging in. But uh, yeah, you bring up a great point. Who have they played? And I think that, you know, this year, that's always, uh, that's going to be the situation with everyone, because everybody's playing a little bit shorthanded. And I just feel like I don't have a great uh, grasp on a lot of teams, Texas included. So I do have a lot of respect for Sam Ellinger. I have a lot of respect for Texas offensively. Uh, you know, I, I think that that will be a test for this Oklahoma State defense. I think it will be uh, obviously the best offense that they played. So I am really excited to see how it plays out. Our numbers think that Texas can keep it close. Uh, the official projection uh, is Oklahoma State still winning 35-31, so a little bit higher scoring. We do think the offense will, you know, hopefully Oklahoma State will take another step forward offensively and Texas will be able to to score on that defense. But uh, we do think that, that the Cowboys can get it done, and, and as of right now, we still think Oklahoma might be slightly better, but Oklahoma State's on a, on a pretty good path to uh, make it to the Big 12 championship. And, and you know, from that point on, maybe even sneak into the playoff, and, and who knows? They've got some some uh, pretty good talent across the board. So uh, this will be a very interesting measuring stick game. If, if, I think we will learn whether or not Oklahoma State is a, a team that we should take seriously, or if this was just a little bit of a weak schedule and you know all of that.
1: Texas is going to win this game straight up. I mean, th- this is what Texas does, is they, they they lose games that you think they should win or that they're close in. Uh, and then they beat a team that no one expects them to beat because they've already lost two games. So, uh, Xavier, how do you see this one playing out?
2: Give me Texas. I, I like yeah. Texas in this game a lot. I think I think everybody's off of the Texas bandwagon now. They've got nothing to lose. That is a scary ball club to play when you're that talented and you have nothing to lose. It, it, it makes it – And all of the pressures on Oklahoma State, not only that, they're at home, they're the ranked team. This is probably the first time in a long time that Oklahoma State's been ranked above Texas in the middle of the year like this, and with their playoff hopes still on the line. I like Texas to come in here and handle business. I think that the talent edge is going to be what really does it for them. I think Oklahoma State has yet to play a team this talented. And although they were able to handle business last week with Iowa State, it wasn't easy. It was a struggle, and the the score, I think, is more indicative of what the game actually was like. Yes, Oklahoma State kind of held a 24-14 lead for a while there, but Iowa State was within striking distance of taking that lead multiple times throughout that ballgame, especially with the way the game started after uh, Spencer Sanders being picked off and Iowa State scoring right away. I really like Texas here. I think that they are uh, a team that people are off of. Just simply because of how games have gone for them this season, and that's fine. That, that's as per that's personally perfectly reasonable. Excuse me. I, I think that you know they deservedly lost some of that good grace that they may have had early on this year. But let's not go crazy. They lost yeah. to Oklahoma in you know one of the longest games of the year, and, and they had an inexplicable loss to TCU, which is a team that they typically. Played what down against so texas yeah. is kind of play maybe on par with what people thought they might have been coming into the season anyways you know the, the game against oklahoma is typically a toss-up and the game against tcu is a game that they don't typically play well in historically anyways this is a game for me that i think they handle business like i said they've got nothing to lose which is terrifying when you have a team that comes in and they have an opportunity to ruin your season they're the sixth ranked team in the country right now as nick said if oklahoma state can run the table They have a really, really solid chance of making it into the playoff, especially with a lot of teams in front of them still having to play one another, most notably Notre Dame and Clemson. I really like Texas. I think Sam Ellinger gets that staple win as a senior, and this is it. Uh, I think he's going to have a really good performance. I think they may have been looking over Baylor last week, which is why it was so sloppy. Uh, and, And I really expect them to handle business on the road. And get a Big 12 win that really is going to just muck it up for the Big 12 as a whole. It might put the dagger in the conference's chances to get to the College Football Playoff. But I just really like Texas here.
1: Now, Xavier, you're up. So, what game are you picking?
2: So, I'm going to go into the SEC, and uh, we're going to talk about the most fraudulent team in the conference, LSU at Auburn. Uh, this is a 3:30 kickoff. <laughs> um, I, I just, I just want, I just want Auburn to get its comeuppance. Uh, you know, you, you soiled a season. For Arkansas, that might go down, that could have gone down the history books if they were currently three and one. Uh, on the L- on the LSU side, this may have been a team that found its stride defensively last week. Yes, they played a much maligned South Carolina team offensively, but last time I checked, South Carolina beat Auburn. I think LSU was a team defensively that may have figured it out by just dumbing it down, allowing kids to play football and do what they know how to do. It looked like last week there looked there was no signs or no indicative signs of confusion in the secondary for the most part they held their own and, and they played really well against the South Carolina team that was coming in with a ton of confidence after the upset win against Auburn um I can't remember his name the, the backup quarterback played exceptionally well and I don't think it matters who's hey, that quarterback hmm?
0: T.J. Finley for, for um, LSU yes.
2: yeah and, he played exceptionally well last week and I really don't think it matters who's that quarterback for them at this point that offense just goes I don't I don't know if it's becoming the Oklahoma effect but the offense scores points regardless who's there. Uh, it doesn't look like Miles Britton is going to be able to go again this week. Rojeron said it's unlikely. I don't think that matters. I think Auburn has been a team that has not been able to perform offensively at a high level yet all year uh, against SEC opponents. I really expect. I really have expected Bo Nix to play better up until this point. He hasn't. Um, you know, Tank Bigsby being back. Should be a boost for them offensively, as he has been their best rusher by far. But I just really like LSU. I think that the talent is starting to figure it out. And I think this is a team that's going to be very scary and very sneaky down the stretch. I think that they've been a good offensive team. We talked about it last week. The defense figuring it out and making the proper strides last week, I think it's only going to bode well for them in this game against Auburn. I've got LSU. Scott, what's the line for this game?
1: Uh, the the three. line for this game, I uh, I think it's LSU by three. Let me just double check it here. Go to the SEC, and it is LSU by three, sixty-five and a half.
2: Yeah, I think LSU more than covers. Uh, I I don't know if this will be a boat race for LSU, but I do see them winning by ten plus. I I really think Auburn's offense has scared me this year, being so Seth Williams heavy. Uh, They have yet to find a second receiver to really help him out and make it to where, you know, if he's having a bad game or if they are double teaming him, somebody else can make a play. I I think they're going to have to lean on Seth Williams again this week. Derek Stingley versus Seth Williams. I'm going to give that to Derek Stingley. And I'm going to give LSU the win by 10 plus. I think LSU is starting to find their stride a bit. And Auburn's the luckiest team in football right now. So I don't think that look can last.
1: Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm with you. I think LSU wins this game, too. Uh, I just think that Auburn doesn't match up real great against LSU. I think nice. their offense is not crazy explosive, and LSU is going to score on anybody regardless. So the offense is still playing fairly well for LSU, and the most points that Auburn has put up this year was the 35 that they just scored at Mississippi. So uh, I like LSU in this game, too. Uh, Nick, how do you see that one playing out?
0: Uh, this this is uh, uh, you know another very interesting game. Uh, a lot of different things pop out to me at first. This is you know two teams that a lot of the college football viewing public have sort of written off. I mean, this is you know we're we're used to this being a you know potentially a top ten. Uh, matchup of of two top 10 teams, at least two top 25 teams, neither team is ranked. But it's also interesting, though, if you look at our power rankings, even though both of these teams have uh, multiple losses and and have not played particularly well, they actually are top 25 teams according to uh, our power rankings, how we rank uh, teams based on who would be favored over who on a neutral field you know, there's uh, six different SEC teams are in the top 25 Auburn being the 25th. And then and LSU, we actually have uh, a few spots higher at, at number 19. So uh, that does include, you know, we don't expect Brennan to play. Like you mentioned uh, Xavier, TJ Finley did, uh, I thought do, you know, some really good things for a true freshman last week. I, I however, though uh, you know, I'm not sure if he'll be able to carry that over against Auburn. It it does seem there is some evidence to suggest that LSU can can, uh, consistently put up points against anyone. But, you know, Auburn, despite their faults this year and and despite getting some very uh, fortunate bounces from time to time, whether it may or may not have come off of a, punt returner's finger or or not but uh you know this is a, a team auburn and and you know uh, defensive coaching staff kevin Steele, one of the highest rated defensive coordinators in the country according to our numbers uh, was was lsu's toughest test last year and we know that this lsu team looks nothing like it did last year but you know i can't help but but feel that the offense is you know, very similar operating in a very similar way. And Kevin Steele was able to, to, you know, orchestrate a a defensive unit that held LSU to 23 points and uh, really, you know, the, the closest LSU came to losing a game last year. So I think that experience will be helpful. I think that Auburn, you know, sometimes you get uh, a, a lucky break and things end up evening out eventually Uh, But sometimes you get a lucky break and then everything else is just normal. From, from that point <laughs> on, and, and so I kind of expect Auburn to get better. I also expect LSU to get better, and I think last year or last week, their their performance defensively against South Carolina uh, was a good start to that. And, and seeing uh, them take a step forward, be able to you know stop someone, which we didn't really get uh, much uh, you know experience with that the first couple of games. So I think I think that Auburn has a chance in this game. And, and it's, it's uh, part of it is, is the numbers. They all do line up, believe it or not. Um, we, we have LSU favored by almost two points in talent edge. We have uh, Auburn actually favored by almost half a point in the stats only model, which was a, a surprise to me. And then based on the, the way they played, so far this year, you add all that into, you know, the regular roster strength information and we've got LSU favored only by a point. So uh, we, we think it's going to be close. We, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to thread that needle where a, a three point underdog uh, just covers and, and doesn't win outright. But uh, you know, I think Auburn's got a chance and and right now they're playing Know they they are not playing like a top 25 team, they rank 50th in team performance, 48th on offense, 46th on defense. At least LSU is is playing offense at a top 10 level defensively. They're still, you know, 67th, but uh, they're at least playing a little bit closer to top 25 overall. But, but I think Auburn can take a step forward. I think that they can say, Hey, yeah, you know, we caught a, a, a couple of lucky breaks, but you know, let's take advantage of those. And and, uh, based on the success that they had last year defensively against LSU, I I don't think they'll be intimidated, you know. And and then, of course, if if they were, they could just look at uh, what happened against Mississippi State and, and, uh, you know, what what happened uh, in uh, the the loss to Missouri as well, to say, you know, even a team that's not terribly explosive on paper, I, I think none of us would argue that Missouri has a better offense than Auburn. I certainly wouldn't, uh, but but Missouri was able to put up 41 points. I think that there's a case that Auburn says, okay, yeah, we, we found our running back, Tink Bigsby, Bo Nix, love him or hate him, you know, uh, getting more and more experience. Seth Williams is one of the best, most physical receivers, I think, in, in the country. And, you know, they've got other weapons around him, still issues on the offensive line, especially when they lost a starter for the season coming into this, but, you know, I, I, I kind of am seeing a, a case for Auburn. I don't know if I'm articulating it quite as well as I would like to, but I think that they've got a chance here, and, and I believe uh, in the numbers, and, and they do all uh, three line up to, to say that this is going to be a close game. So our, our official projection is LSU 28, Auburn 7. That seems about right to me. I could certainly see it playing out that way. I could see Auburn maybe getting a uh, a lucky bounce and kicking a game-winning field goal uh, to make it thirty to twenty-eight. Who knows? So uh, I, I think it'll be a fun game. It's weird that that uh, it's kind of you know off the national radar for most folks, but uh, I think that this is an opportunity for one of these teams, whichever it is, to set you know make this game as a a state their claim that, okay, we had some early season troubles. We're still one of the most talented teams in the country and the sec title, you're going to have to beat us to win it. So, uh, I am excited for this game, but yeah, I think, uh, I'm, I'm with, with the numbers here and we lean, uh, toward, toward Auburn, at least covering, if not getting a, getting an outright upset.
1: Did you see Xavier's face when you started making the case for Auburn? It was just so (laughs) sour. It's like he just popped in a warhead. So uh, the the game, uh, the second game I'm going to pick here, and I had a tough time choosing uh, between games, but I'm going to land on this game because I think Arkansas can go into Kyle Field and win this game. Uh, A&M favored by 12. Uh, 54 and a half is the over in this game. But I, I don't know. Uh, Texas a and seems to be a little Jekyll and Hydish where, Uh, They'll play really well, and then their defense will give up a bunch of points. I can't tell where they're at right now, but Arkansas really seems to be turning it on. They seem like a real SEC contender moving forward. Like Xavier said, should have beat Auburn. So sticking in the SEC here, Nick, do you like uh, the Aggies or the Razorbacks this week?
0: Arkansas is a very interesting team, and they're a lot of fun. Sam Pittman seems like a ton of fun and, and it's good to see him enjoy being a head coach so much. And, and it's nice to see him having some success. It's nice to see Arkansas that, that was uh, so, you know, beat down the, the last few years for, for that fan base to, to have a taste of success and, and for them to have uh, the defense really stepping up, you know, on the strength of a couple of former walk-ons and, and who are, you know, stepping up, making big plays, SEC player of the week type performances. And, and it's really great to see. And, and they're a, a bad call away from being three and one. But this is also Arkansas is, is a team. Uh, we, we can't get through a, a week without talking about Kentucky, it, it seems. But they, they remind <laughs> me a little bit of Kentucky and sort of some conversations that we've had about Kentucky in the past where early like in the that, year. Tom. There are a lot of people, really, really smart people, who are, are like, you know, hey, watch out for Kentucky. Kentucky's underrated, and and deservingly so. Kentucky has played, you know, they're one of those teams, kind of like Oklahoma State. They they have traditionally played at a higher level than their talent rating would suggest, uh, but th- there still is sort of a bit of a ceiling there. So our numbers really didn't respect Kentucky at that level so far. I feel like we've got Kentucky. Uh, figured out decently well. Now, uh, you know, Arkansas has had some success. And there are, again, some really smart people who are saying, hey, yeah, Arkansas is looking really, really good right now. They're so fun. They're exciting. But also, there's there's still a little bit of a, a ceiling there. And, and I think that, you know, I, I was hopeful for a little while that maybe people would start to underrate Kentucky and our numbers would swing back around and then we would have the benefit of people doubting Kentucky again. Well, now I think we're on the other side with Arkansas where uh, people are starting to really, really warm up to them. And I think it, it, there's a, a case to be made that maybe people are warming up to them a little too too much. I mean, they still rank 53rd in our power ratings. That's 13th in the SEC. Only Vanderbilt is uh, better and in in that number when we look at on-field performance team performance offensively Arkansas ranks 91st out of 101 teams in offensive team performance defensively they played really really well Barry Odom has done an incredible job as defensive coordinator I think he's going to be a head coach probably in 2021 uh, and will be a you know a great addition for that opportunity Uh, but you know defensively they rank 33rd Really good, but but you know not elite by by any stretch. So overall, they've played like the seventieth best team in the country. So they've actually played below what we actually have them rated as as you know power rating team. And they've you know a three and one team coming in with seventieth in team performance is a bit of uh, like Xavier likes to say maybe a fraudulent three and one. Mm-hmm. So they are of course only two and two. So maybe it's it's. Uh, the hype isn't completely out of control. But I do think that there's there's sort of a narrative behind Arkansas right now where they might be a little bit overrated. And uh, so factoring that in mind, and I know Texas A&M is a little bit difficult to peg down because they're similar to Texas and USC. They're in that other class where, hey, these guys are recruiting at a top 15, top 10 level. Why can't they ever – play up to that level on the field. Well, you know, they rank 16th in our power ratings. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the talent on hand. They did not look good against Vanderbilt. They did not look good against Alabama. Uh, they were, you know, fortunate enough to, to knock off Florida, uh, but they, they put together a really solid performance against Mississippi State. And I know that there are a ton of problems right now on that roster. They've had, what, more than half a dozen guys transfer out, Within the last 48 hours, but uh, you know uh, Texas A&M has uh, again another you know extra week to prepare this new look Arkansas defense is not going to uh, surprise them. They're familiar with you know Barry Odom. They've seen Missouri on tape plenty over the last few years. His defenses there when he was the head coach. So they're you know they're familiar uh, with the system. They're familiar with the players. This game is always. Uh, it traditionally has been very very close it's one uh-huh. that arkansas has uh, almost pulled off a big upset uh, several times over recent yeah. years but uh, you know our, our numbers just sort of the, the way it all shakes out uh we're we're on texas a&m at least officially uh, the stat projection likes a&m almost almost in line with uh, with the odds makers uh, at almost 12 and a half the talent edge they're, they're pretty similar talent-wise because Arkansas has been able to, to get a little bit of an influx uh, through the transfer portal. They did lose a, a starter at corner, a graduate transfer from Arkansas State. Jerry Jacobs actually opted out somewhat surprisingly uh, this past week. So that secondary is going to be uh, a little uh, undermanned. But, um, but you know, from, from a talent edge standpoint, Texas a would only be about a seven-point favorite. But, again, we factor it all in. And Texas A&M is, is actually a, a pretty clear favorite here. We've got the number at over 16. So see it as a, a decent decent edge there for the Aggies. And, and I, feel, I feel pretty good about that. I, I think that even though Arkansas has looked good, like I've said, uh, I think that there's a case to be made that maybe they aren't quite as good as, as we think, and and we're kind of getting wrapped up a little bit in in sort of the feel-good aspect of them winning a couple of games and doing it with some somewhat unexpected players and and things like that. I think this is a game that, even though in recent years has been very close, I I think Texas A&M can come out and sort of uh, impose its will as the more talented team. And so that—that's I kind of expect it to play out that way, even though you know, the, the, the other two numbers kind of line up on, on uh, Arkansas side, at least to cover, keep it close enough. I, I kind of lean, I, I kind of like the the official projection here that has it as, as Texas A&M getting out of there with a, a
1: 37-21 victory. All right, Xavier, what do you think of this game?
2: Yeah, I think this is going this game is going to be similar to that uh, when we watched Arkansas play Georgia earlier this year. I think at the end of the day, Texas A&M's talent is just going to be too much for Arkansas to keep up with uh, for a whole uh for a whole ball game. I think Arkansas and Texas A&M, Texas A&M has been able to pull it out the last couple of years um and they've played down to Arkansas's level each of those last two years. I think when we look at this ball game as a whole I think Arkansas comes in as the as a, as a hot team that probably thinks it should be – that thinks it should be 3-1, obviously. But Texas A&M has put together some impressive wins. You know, I I, I was one to say hit the panic button after week two uh, after looking at how their schedule kind of played out after, uh, in the last couple of weeks. But they were able to beat Florida at home, you know, getting it done with some defensive plays down the stretch. Then they win a game against Mississippi State. I think a lot of people – wouldn't have been surprised if they lost that ball game that's a game that typically under a Jimbo Fisher-led team at Texas Am they pick they get a big win then they get a win and they're not then they lose a game that they're not supposed to they were able to put two wins back to back that really gives me the confidence that they'll be able to not only to cover this game but to really I think make a statement that they are the second best team in the SEC West uh, I think as of right now that's how they are standings wise anyways uh, but I think that this is a team that can run the table. Up, uh, you know, uh, up until, you know, for the, for the remainder of the year. And we'll have to see what how it goes because I really think that their schedule plays out perfectly now. You know, they have Arkansas, South Carolina, Tennessee, maybe Tennessee game, the game I should be really looking at um, on, on November 14th. But this a and team has something that they haven't had in a while, which is balance. This team has balance. Isaiah Spiller and, and that front... In that front four, or sorry, and in, in that front five against Florida showed me a lot. They showed me that they can run the ball physically in between the tackles, and that they don't have to rely on Kellen Mond to make all of the plays for them. That's huge against an Arkansas secondary that has seemed to figure it out over the last couple of weeks. You know, they really made Matt Corral look awful. Uh, you know, and you know they, they've been able to make it work. Obviously, with the guy opting out, that's going to hurt that. Uh, but. Texas A&M doesn't have to lean on Mon to throw for 400 yards for them to win a ball game. And I really like the balance that they have offensively. Defensively, they still concern me a bit because I haven't seen them put up, put up a great defensive performance as of yet. Maybe this is the week I see it, but I like Texas A&M in this game. I think that Arkansas is a team that we should k- keep our eye on. Maybe it's our purple patch, but we'll have to see. I like Sam Pittman, obviously, uh, but I really, really... Think that Texas and as of right now, is just too talented and has too much confidence coming into this game to have a lull right now.
1: All right, Nick, uh, game number two.
2: Uh, well, at, at the fear of uh,
0: forgetting about it, maybe we should go ahead and, and talk about uh, Ohio State and Penn State, and uh, you know that the, <laughs> the primetime, uh, big big time matchup. You know, very similar to last week when when, uh, Michigan and and Minnesota was kind of what we were looking forward to all day. I think that's going to be the case uh, this week as well. And, you know, we touched on Penn State a little bit. They they played better than the final score would indicate against Indiana. It's, of course, just one game is all that factors into this. But uh, Penn State, you know, based on those numbers – Put up a, a, a team performance rating that now ranks 14th nationally, uh, top 30 offense and a top 20 uh, defensive performance, which you might not expect when you're you're uh, getting upset uh, like that in overtime. But, uh, you know, Penn State's a, a, a good team. Penn State spent a lot of time uh, during the offseason in our top 10 for sure and, and you know, really crept up. Uh, heading into their first game knocking on the door of, of the top five in our power rankings. And, and that seemed a little high and, and especially, you know, seems high when they end up losing their, their first opportunity, but uh, you know, Penn state is, is going to be a solid team. They have questions. Of course they lost KJ Hamler. We, we knew that they were going to be looking for a playmaker At receiver, Uh, they unfortunately lost not only Journey Brown to a season-ending issue, it sounds like, but uh, Noah Kane, his his backup, and somebody who I think is uh, almost as good as you know, just from a pure talent standpoint. Both of those guys, you know, Journey Brown has been getting plenty of NFL buzz to potentially be the highest drafted running back. Next year, certainly in the mix. I mean, when, when you're talking about guys like Chuba Hubbard and Travis Etienne, uh, being even in that conversation is, is pretty impressive. And that's the kind of talent they're missing out on. And then I thought Noah Kane, uh, who was, you know, a, a, a nearly a five star recruit coming out of high school, uh, played just as well, if not better, as Brown during the first half of the
1: year. I remember he got banged specifically, up. Like when uh-huh. we were talking the fantasy show, liking Kane a little bit more than Brown.
0: Right. And I think Kane getting banged up uh, toward the end of last year really helped open the door for Brown to finish as strong as he did. And, and you know, Brown, looking back on the, the full body of work, was the better running back. And and so, But to lose both of those guys, you know, it doesn't matter now. Who <laughs> was better because neither of them were there. Uh, they're they're going to be relying on uh, devin Ford and, and a couple of true freshmen uh, potentially you know as, as backups as, as the next guy's in. And you know running backs can be replaced. There's evidence that um, you know there, there's plenty of conversation on on analytics Twitter about uh, both the NFL and college football. you know how much do running backs matter? Well, they matter a little. bit. But, uh, and I think they matter more at the college level than at the NFL level. But, you know, anyway, they're going to be uh, a team that needs some playmakers to step up offensively. We know that. Sean Clifford probably, uh, we expected, needed to take another step forward as a junior, you know, in his second year as a starter for this to be a team that could challenge Ohio State in the Big Ten East. And now that he's got. You know a lot of questions around him from skill positions. It is a little bit of a concern. Defensively, they lost. You know one of the the very best defensive players in college football, Micah Parsons, to an opt out. You know we talked about did the the, the big uh, Big Ten make a mistake waiting to start their season? Well, if they hadn't waited, Micah Parsons maybe would never have opted out, you know? So, so there are certainly uh, regardless of, of everything else, there are some consequences and, and, you know, Penn state and, and us as college football fans, losing an opportunity to watch one of the best uh, players in all of college football and the off season, I was talking about how I thought Micah Parsons could be uh chase young, basically level yeah. performer this year. So I, I, I hate that we're not going to be able to see him and, and Penn state, again, you know, that's a, a big loss, but taking all of that into account and taking into account that the team performance rating that they put up last week, uh, though better than the final score would suggest, was actually, uh, you know, lower than the uh, number that that they had in 2019. So so it kind of has a little bit stabilized their rating, if that makes sense. They're still a top 10 team, according to our power rankings. So uh, this is a team that we think can hang with Ohio State. Ohio State uh, did not come out of the gate. Incredibly strong, they struggled. You know, talk about the running backs matter. Well, they they struggled a little bit. Their their running backs, talented guys, Trey Sermon, Master Teague, uh, early on in that game struggled to uh, establish themselves, and Justin Fields ended up being the leading ball carrier, which. Uh, I don't think Ohio state wants moving forward. I I think you really do want to have somebody take a a step over and, and, you know, those two guys uh, carry the load for you so that, you know, you can help keep fields healthy because even though Michael Parson's not there, Penn state has plenty of talented pass rushers. I mean, Shaka Tony, uh, Jason Oway, you know, guys in the middle, Antonio Shelton, P.J. Mustapher. This is one of the best defensive lines in college football. It's a top ten unit. So, you know, th- he, he's got the potential, uh, Justin Fields, to, to be under pressure. I, you know, I think you're going to want to try, if you're Ohio State, to, to limit the number of hits that he's going to take and, and, you know, hopefully you'll be able to to hand the ball off and not rely on fields as a runner, at least a design runner. If he scrambles, you know, that's one thing, but uh, they're a little banged up as well. Chris Olave, excellent all American level receiver uh, is questionable. Might, might play. They've got plenty of depth at that position. Guys like, you know, Garrett Wilson, Julian Fleming, Jameson Williams, and, and Jackson Smith and Jigba who had, you know, the, the play that we, are still seeing every night on, on sports center. So uh, Ohio state is one of the best teams in the country. I said, coming into last week, they were actually our number one team in our power rankings. I've mentioned time and time again, how Alabama, Ohio state and Clemson are, are kind of uh, all co number ones. They rotate in and out. Well, Ohio state not playing a, a, as an elite performance defensively. They actually had a, uh, slightly under, um, Uh, You know, below average performance defensively, put up a a rating under 80 against Nebraska last week, Uh, hurt them a little bit. They're now third in our power rankings behind Clemson and Alabama. So, uh, you know, they've got a lot of new faces on defense and and a new coordinator. Uh, They've got some things to figure out, and Penn State might not be the toughest task because of all that we've talked about. But, you know, from a talent standpoint, I think it is a little bit of an upgrade uh, compared to, to what we saw last week against Nebraska. So I think Penn State is going to give them a, a bit of a game. All that said, you know, we, we do see uh, this being a, a clear Ohio State victory. They are rightly favored, uh, you know, by, by double digits, but, um, you know, our, our numbers think it can be a little closer than the, the 12 point official spread that, that we had this afternoon. So, uh, you know, stats only model factoring in last year, no, no player ratings or anything like that. Sees it as about a field goal game. Ohio state would be favored talent only. This was a bit of a surprise to me that Ohio state is just head and shoulders, the best team in the big 12 and really roster wise that the most talented team in the country, they're a double digit favorite. If we only looked at, Talent against a top ten level team like Penn State, uh, but you know that's just eleven points. That's still under the twelve. So all three uh, do line up when we when we look at our official projection and see that we've got Ohio State as a nine uh, about a, about a nine and a quarter point favorite over over Penn State in this game. You know the lack of uh, stadium atmosphere I think is is going to be more evident in this game maybe than any we've seen in college football mm-hmm. this year. Uh, maybe the possible exception of the the Alabama Georgia game, but I think even sure. so, uh, Penn State, you know, a, as a crowd, this would have been the the whiteout game, the crazy, uh, you know, night night game yeah. atmosphere, and and it's hard to quantify that, but I think there certainly is uh, something to that, and, and having uh, the the limits on attendance here is is going to play into Ohio State's favor as the more talented team, uh, so. I think Ohio State's going to win, but uh, our numbers in part based, I think because Penn State lost last week, uh, maybe we, we got a little bit of, of value. Maybe this number is a little bit bigger because of the market, because of that loss. Maybe some folks out there don't understand that Penn State actually played pretty well in that loss uh, and Ohio State didn't play at, at a level that you would expect for a 52-17 win, but, uh, you know, again, it's, it's it's just one game, so our numbers could could be wrong, and and those numbers they put up uh, could be a little bit misleading. But we we think Penn State can keep it close. Final score projection is Ohio State thirty
1: three and Penn State twenty four. I just have a feeling that Xavier is going to have a different take than Penn State can keep it close. Am I mistaken on that, Xavier? I mean, I still like Penn State, but uh, week one uh, week one loss to Indiana is not going to put a lot of money on Penn state in this game against Ohio state, especially when Ohio state didn't really miss a beat. They look great.
2: Oh <sighs> man. Um, I, I really want to give Penn, Penn state the, the, the benefit of the doubt. I, I really do. Um, I think that they are not as bad as a loss to Indiana. Maybe says that they are. Uh, but I, I, just don't see where Penn State is able to move the ball against this Ohio State defense consistently. You know, I know Nick said 24 points. I'll be sh- I'll be surprised if they get 20. I just don't see where they're able to consistently move the ball against this Ohio State defense. And, and it really is because last week against an Indiana team, Sean Clifford was really pedestrian. And I think that that's due to the fact that they don't have anybody on the outside who has made themselves the guy yet. And I really, you know, You know, 238 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. That's not a great day at the office for any quarterback, let alone the quarterback of what was the eighth-ranked team in the country. And, you know, his receivers just didn't give him much to do in at points in the second half. I'm really looking for this to be Penn State's defense has to play just lights out. You know, Nick, you hit it right on the head. This defense for Penn State is amazing. The front seven for for Penn State – which, w- which would probably be one of the best in the country if Michael Parsons decided not to sit out, It's still a really, really good front seven. And we'll get to the quarterback and make Justin Fields uncomfortable, especially if Ohio State can't run the football. But now we get down to the quarter. Now we get down to what I have. My biggest concern is if we get to a shootout where Ohio State's just throwing the ball around the yard, Penn State can't keep up. I just don't see them having the ability to put up. 30 points, 35, 40 points against this Ohio State team. And I think that's what they're going to need to do for them to win this ball game. From Ohio State perspective, I think that the only way they lose this ball game is if we see some lack of continuity from the rest of the receiving core. And if Chris Olave doesn't play, yes, they have talent. Yes. They are, are hot, recruit very well at that position, but those are two different things that have been continuity. I mean, we saw it in last year's uh, college football playoff continuity May, might have meant he he ran the right route, and Ohio State was in the national championship last year. So we need to remember that when we think about you know the fact that they aren't they don't have a lot of returning depth at that position. Uh, nevertheless, I like Ohio State to win this game and cover. I think Penn State may give us a close first half. I think uh, uh, the adjustments will be made at halftime. Ohio State will come out in the second half, and if Ohio State is able to run the football, this might be an absolute route. Um, I like Ohio State. I think they are by far the best team in the Big Ten as of right now. And, and I think that we'll, whereas Penn State may still be the second best team in that conference, I don't think that even if that being the case, they're good enough to keep up with Ohio State for four quarters. So I got Ohio State. I got Ohio State big. I think they'll pull right. away in the second half. Yeah.
1: You're picking the last game of the week. What's the last one?
2: Oh, man, I got to scroll and find it. Give me two
1: seconds. <laughs> He had it before he was going on his uh, Ohio State will uh, stomp Penn State rant here. Yeah,
2: and I, and I wasn't trying to destroy Penn State there either. I was trying to be composed because I could have really just been like, yeah, no. Um, man, where is. Oh, actually, you know what? You took it, Scott. It was Arkansas, Texas A&M. Now I got to think.
1: <laughs> That's you why you threw your hands up. Okay. Yeah.
2: Man, give me uh, a second.
1: I, I did see your reaction immediately. When I made that pick, I thought you were, uh, I thought you were giving me crap because of course I would pick against Texas A&M because I said Arkansas can win that game. Let me,
0: let me steal your spots Zamir. Let me, let me hey, pick three hey, this week. I think you'll ahead. like, I think go you'll ahead. like this one. Go ahead. Coastal Carolina at Georgia state. My guy.
1: Oh, <laughs> all right. Let's hear it, Nick.
2: I didn't want to be a homer. So,
0: <laughs> hey, go for it. Go for it.
1: Yeah, I'd you like, start, Xavier. Yeah, Go
2: ahead. Yeah, I, I like Georgia State in this ballgame. I, I think Coastal Carolina has been playing with house money the last couple of weeks. I think their win over Louisiana, whereas impressive Louisiana, had been move, it had been in this trajectory where they hadn't been playing a full four quarters for a very long time. They didn't play four quarters against uh, Georgia State. They didn't play four quarters against Georgia Southern. And obviously, they didn't play four quarters against Coastal Carolina, which led to the loss. Last week, once again, I think Coastal Carolina got it little, had some luck you know nick has, hit, has said it over and over again sometimes it's better to be lucky than good i think last week georgia southern missed a, uh, some opportunities to win that ball game and i think that at the end of the day coastal carolina was able to pull away at the end but they're they're, they're playing a team in georgia state that offensively has been amazing they ranked coming into last week they ranked top five in the country in offense uh, in points per game averaging about forty four, if I'm not mistaken, points per game. Uh, The uh, Quad Brown and company have been able to figure out for another year, Georgia State offense is as explosive as any in the G5 level, especially in the Sun Belt. And I'm really, I want to see if they can, Win a shootout. Coastal Carolina has leaned on their defense so far. Uh, They were able to hold an explosive Arkansas State offense to only 23 points. But I want to see what happens if they have to play a shootout. I don't know if they're capable of doing so. This was the same concern I had about Louisiana early in the year, uh, and and it almost uh, reared its ugly head when they had when they did play Georgia State. My biggest concern for Georgia State is always going to be defense. If that defense comes to play for four quarters, then Georgia State's offense will put up points. They've shown it all year, and the only games that they've lost is their defense just hasn't been able to get key stops when necessary. I am going to pick Georgia State. I'm going to play Homer here. I I think being at home for them is going to be a boost as well. Um, They have not played amazingly well on the road. Uh, and I think the defense has to turn a corner in this game. We have to see more of a performance like they had in the first half against Louisiana. If they're going to have any opportunity to put you to beat this coastal Carolina team. But I just think that this offense for Georgia state really is really explosive and it's going to start quickly and I don't know if Coastal Carolina can keep up. We'll have to see on Saturday. But I don't. If this becomes a shootout, this is Georgia State's ballgame. If Coastal Carolina can keep it ugly and and force Georgia State to punt and force their defense to play more than the the normal possessions that in which they play, it's going to be Coastal Carolina's game to win. But I'm gonna go with Georgia State with the upset here. I'm gonna go with the the you know I think it will be their first ranked win in program history. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and go with Georgia State here, and I'll be at the game, so that'll be fun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that that will be a fun one, and uh, you know, Fred Payton, the backup quarterback, going for Coastal Carolina here, Nick. So uh, you know, well, it, they are,
2: a- they did say that they're hoping the starting could play.
1: It's yeah, a-
2: mm-hmm. I don't think they are all hoping he can play. play.
1: Yeah. I don't think McCall is going to play. I think we're going to see Fred Payton again. Uh, you know, uh, what What was Billy Bob Thornton's fa- famous line about uh, hopeful or wishing in bad Santa? I can't say it on this show. But uh, the uh, I, I'm I, I don't hold out hope for him playing. But I don't think they missed too much of a beat with Fred okay. Payton in there last week. But uh, tougher matchup this week, Nick.
0: Yeah, and, and I cheated a little bit. Not only did I steal Xavier's spot, but I wrote about this game for Athlon Sports, so I, I can kind of uh, use my own use my own notes here that, that I wrote out. But, uh, but you know, it, it was exciting. I got more excited for the game. The more I researched it, the more I, I was writing about it. So I'll, I'll give away some of the secrets, but do make sure you go – you know, click 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 on that please uh, give them on, the that, on that yeah. on that on uh, that link there. So uh, it's it's a really intriguing game and and Coastal Carolina is uh, I've I've mentioned before teams like Kentucky where which side are we on? Are we on the side it, it seems that we're always hoping at least to be on the, the opposite side of the public where you know sometimes they're underrated, sometimes they're overrated. Coastal Carolina might be sneaking into that realm because you know this is still a group of 5 team yeah they're 5 and 0 yeah they're ranked 20th in the AP poll but i i think that few people really would agree that you know this this team is better than all but 19 other teams in the country. I mean, yeah, they've, they've looked really, really good. Their offense is a ton of fun to watch. It is a modern option offense that they do attack uh, downfield in the passing game. But, you know, the quarterback uh, as the trigger man is, is, you know, Grayson McCall put up incredible, incredible numbers was averaging uh, over 10 yards per pass uh, attempt, which is, you know, pretty elite uh, level. He actually ranked, uh, you know, what, fourth in the country, I, I think. Uh, so, you know, that and he was running uh, as well. So really, on you know, as, as far as the stat sheet was uh, concerned, he, he looked like one of the best quarterbacks in all of college football. Uh, we will, of course, miss him. But Fred Payton, you know, made his 12th career start last week uh, as a back. Uh, you know, somebody. This is somebody that has a lot of experience. This is somebody who has run this system the last few years, and they really didn't miss a beat offensively, as far as just the the offense as a whole last week against Georgia Southern. Peyton made some bad mistakes through a couple of interceptions, and and you know just wasn't maybe as crisp as as McCall was uh, in the first part of the year, but. You know, Coastal Carolina really kind of came out and, and controlled the game and, and uh, played better than than our numbers expected. And quickly last week, I mentioned how everything was just red lights flashing on Georgia Southern, and obviously that didn't didn't work out. Coastal Carolina uh, proved that it was the better team and won that game outright. So our numbers have been slow to recognize Coastal Carolina. And we're finally catching up because we actually – our official projection, uh, this looked like a good upset spot for Georgia State. Georgia State actually, when Circa released the line on Sunday, was favored by a point. Uh, so, you know, that shows you that, that yeah. the, the, the odds makers, the, uh, the experts, think that this is a, a really evenly matched team despite Coastal Carolina – being a top 20 team in in the AP poll, being 5-0, all that good stuff, there's there's reason to think that uh, they could lose this game and and this will be a tough, uh, hard-fought victory if they get it. We do think that they – We'll get it. Our numbers actually uh, have, have caught up enough on Coastal Carolina. They've made it all the way into the 60s in our power rankings. Uh, so, you know, lower than what a lot of folks out there would say. But, uh, but you know, this is a good team. I, I, I now start to wonder if we actually are starting to overrate Coastal Carolina because I, I do think this is a game that Georgia State could win. This is a game, when you look at our talent edges, and, and that's the big – uh, difference for uh, why you know our, our numbers are low on Coastal Carolina is they're very very young FBS program and so they have a lot of guys on their roster who came in unrated uh, so that really really dragged them down. Guys like CJ Maribel and and Teron Jackson have you know, played up uh, to a really, really high level. And those individual players have raised their rating. McCall has raised his rating a good bit, but, you know, and and Peyton is is experienced enough that they're basically, you know, very similarly rated, uh, but still below 80, uh, you know, in our individual player rating. So, you know, we're still, based on the way that, that they've played so far this year, probably underrating Coastal Carolina a little bit, but, You know, the the margins aren't very big in the Sun Belt. And when we look at our talent edges, uh, as I was starting to say before I sidetracked myself, Georgia State would be favored by a touchdown in this game based purely on talent. Look at the stats only model, Coastal Carolina would be favored, but it would be very, very close, very, very close to the the line as it is. Uh, Our final score projection is uh, Coastal Carolina getting a win and a bit of a shootout, 35 to thirty, and, and part of that is uh, even though Georgia State has taken a, a big step forward defensively and, and they actually do rank among the nation's leaders or at least the Sunbelt leaders in rushing defense and they do have some advanced metrics to back it up, the pass rush has been much improved. It looks good live. They, they look fast and, and hungry and get after the quarterback. But, uh, you know, they, there are some other things that indicate that Coastal Carolina actually Uh, despite maybe having some uh, traditional statistics that don't really line up as well has a more efficient defense and and do a little bit better job winning the field position battle, things like that that kind of get missed in the course of a game as as you're watching, if you're not paying really close attention or looking at the box score, if if you're not digging deep enough. So I think there's some underlying factors that really kind of help back up Coastal Carolina as a, a solid Really good team. They're not a top 20 team. Uh, They're, I I think, in the top 60 actually does make a a fair amount of sense. I think that's fair. Um, But it's going to be a close game. And and it's a game that Georgia State has the talent to compete and, you know, in the Sun Belt when margins are so small, uh, does have, you know, what it takes to pull off a victory. That said, our official projection now is kind of slowly 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 bought into to coastal carolina enough that maybe for the first time all year we have them favored you know uh, to to cover as a as a favorite but um i'm excited for this game and and if mccall can make it back i think that would be great if he's not i think Peyton's going to play well enough and and it's just a really fun offense to watch And, and they do have some uh, really solid players, and, and hopefully Georgia State will be back to full strength. I know they've had uh, a receiver out uh, the last couple of weeks, McCoy, and, and you know excited to see uh, Quad Brown. He, he, I think, is uh, looking. He's looked better and better each week. He looks more and more comfortable. Uh, he's a guy that not the fastest guy, but he's so big and long that just sort of. Uh, takes up just huge chunks of yardage anytime he runs, uh, just as in his uh, his stride. So uh, you know, Georgia State is is good. I think they're they're better than their record indicates. Coastal Carolina has played at a really really high level. Deserves their their record, maybe deserves their ranking. Uh, but this is going to be a tough game. It's going to be very close. <laughs> we we think they'll cover, but I wouldn't be at all shocked if if Xavier's right and, and Georgia State pulls off a big. Uh, you know, could be arguably the second biggest win in program history. Maybe the biggest, I guess it was the first right team I
2: ever beat. We still beat mm. a team that was orange a couple of years ago. No, <laughs> that, you know, that really helped us out. Yeah. thank you, Tennessee. Thank you.
1: Uh-huh. It feels like it was four years ago, and that was last year. That's uh thank you, 2020. But uh Nick, before we get out of here, tell us about the all three agree.
0: Yeah, and no, I'll try to be I'll try to be quick, uh, because sometimes I, I go a little long on that section. And we do have more, it seems like more and more every, every week, but, and you uh, love that. I, do,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. I wish, I wish we had,
0: I wish we had three of these. I wish it was like bears board. Right. Where, right, you know, right. if you go, if you go two and one every week, great. You know, no, <laughs> no problem. I do not want to be this exposed with, with 17, but I'm going to run through them. Uh, Georgia Southern again, for uh, we, we have them, uh, being able to cover four and a half. Fresno State, we actually think should be favored. Officially, it was it was one and a half when this uh, was listed. I think Fresno State actually now is the favorite. Last I checked, uh, just about an hour ago, they were about a half-point favorite, I think, over Colorado State. Anyway, we're we're on uh, Fresno State uh, outright there. Maryland plus 20, Kentucky plus 15 against Georgia. Uh, we think this is, you know, maybe, maybe Kentucky's now a little underrated, Wow. Syracuse plus 11 Uh Southern Miss, we're always on Southern Miss. They are on their third <laughs> head coach in eight games or whatever. Oh well. Uh so Southern Miss minus one and a half. Uh Troy plus three. We think Troy should be favored. Uh the only other one we they don't all three agree, but we think Temple should be favored over Tulane. So those are the three wrong team favored this week. Rutgers plus ten and a half. Our numbers show that really close like all three show it within a touchdown and and a couple of them have it within three or four points so that's that's an interesting one to me uh Rutgers plus ten and a half feel pretty good Rutgers
1: about that. plus ten and a half Xavier are you listening uh
0: Louisiana Tech we're all like we're always on southern miss we are always on Louisiana Tech uh Louisiana Tech plus three we said Auburn plus three northwestern plus two and a half. That one, do be cautious because I think Northwestern's maybe not as good as it looked last week. I think Iowa's not as bad as it looked last week, and those team performance ratings are carrying a lot of weight. So be cautious with that one, but those do line up. Uh, Texas plus 3.5, uh, which you might not be able to get that anymore. Louisville plus 3.5. Mississippi State, I don't love this, but Mississippi State plus 31 31.5. They might lose this game by 80. Uh, but, uh, you know, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Hey, Mississippi State, oh, man, I have I don't know. Faith. we didn't talk about Jalen Waddle at all. I'm, I'm devastated that we're not going to yeah. get to see him anymore. But, uh, yeah, this this is shaping up the week. This is the week that Mississippi State has had. Right. They've had half a dozen guys or more transfer out, purge the roster, whatever. So they're either going to lose this game by 80 or they're going to lose it by one. So I I don't know where there is uh, a middle there, but most of our numbers have this in the 20s. So whatever, we're stuck with it. Mississippi State plus 31, Uh, Penn State plus 12. North Carolina minus six and a half. That is surprisingly uh, low. And I mentioned this time last week that Notre Dame as a road favorite it's very, very difficult for all of our numbers to line up on Notre Dame, so I felt pretty good about that one. It ended up working out last week. North Carolina sits up in a very, very similar way against Virginia this week, so can can we you know get it right two weeks in a row? I'm not sure, but everything I said last week, if you were listening about uh, Notre Dame on the road against Pitt, that carries over this week, North Carolina minus 6.5 at Virginia, so. Do with that what you will. And then UNLV plus 14 in the rivalry game against Nevada.
1: All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.